Welcome to Yoga for the Revolution, a show about self-care in the age of resistance. So I had a whole thing set to launch on Monday today about feminine and masculine, and I have to push that to next week. It's still incredibly relevant, but I can't get it out of my head that a bunch of white nationalists, and I don't even want to call them that because it sounds too soft or positive. Like, what the hell does that mean? Like, national, like, I, in my nation, we're talking about the same nation. I want to call them monsters. I want to call them zombies, but I can't because they're people and there's something happened to them. Something happened to make them be this way and do this thing. And they marched with torches and they're Nazis. And this thing happened and it's happening right now. And it's important to talk about. Friday night, uh, hundreds of torch-bearing white nationalists, white supremacists, Nazis, Ku Klux Klan members, uh, marched at UVA chanting, you will not replace us, gathering near a statue of Thomas Jefferson, shouting, white lives matter. Uh, On Saturday, uh, that's today, that's when I'm recording this, so it's Monday for you when you're listening, but... I'm recording on Saturday. Um, So right as I'm making this show, Nazis and KKK members started gathering in the morning and violence broke out pretty quickly with these people and some counter protesters before what was set to be the official Unite the Right rally, uh, which was set to begin at noon. And they're saying it looks to be the largest hate-based gathering in the U.S. in decades giving that movement a presence in person, on the ground, instead of um, in isolated groups online or on message boards. And as I'm putting this together, uh, the governor of Virginia declared a state of emergency. After these violent clashes, uh, some of the protesters are walking away from the center of things, away from a statue of Robert E. Lee that was set to be removed, and the National Guard has been called in. That actually is is the supposed basis for this rally to protest the removal of certain Confederate monuments from public areas. But I think it's it's way deeper than that. And let's make no mistake that this is not, these are not Republicans, these are Nazis. So I was watching one news report that was talking about like, well, people on the left and on the right were getting into violent clashes. And I just wanted to say, no, let's, Let's not conflate Nazis and KKK members with the Republican contingent because I think that it's really dangerous to say that anyone who believes in civil liberties is a Democrat and anyone who does not believe in civil liberties is a Republican. I think that's really dangerous. I know they're calling themselves the right or the alt-right, but they are Nazis And we need to make sure we make that differentiation. Otherwise, we will not be able to talk to one another in normal society. Because if I see all Republicans as Nazis, then how in the world is our government ever going to work? Not all Republicans are Nazis. These people are. So this is not about healthcare or Russia or Hillary Clinton's emails. This is just bald hatred. And again, as of now, uh, the White House has said nothing publicly. This may change as the events of the day unfold. But uh, as I'm recording this, the White House has not made a statement, which is incredibly disappointing to say the least, and will serve to make rallies like this maybe just more normal and more okay 
and it's not okay. We live in a country where the right to free speech is protected, where the right to assembly is protected, and this gathering on paper, uh, as it originated, uh, was not illegal. And that, you know, that is a good thing. But there will be violence, there already is violence, and this is dark. This is really dark. These groups are emboldened by a government and now I am talking about the GOP and beyond, who look the other way when the president incites violence, who look the other way and have for years looked the other way in the wake of gun violence, and look the other way when hate speech is spouted by our own xenophobic president. I was not around in the 60s. We are repeating ourselves as a country. I know we are. And maybe it's one step up and two steps back, but I personally was not around for that period of time, and I don't know what to do now. Freedom rides, marches, I was not around in the 1920s when, in response to increased immigration, the KKK had record high membership of, some say, over 4 million people nationwide. And I wasn't around in the 1860s and 70s when whites, especially in the South, protested Reconstruction and worked to restore radical white supremacy. We've been here before. So what have we learned? Uh, I learned some things just this morning. You know, I kind of dug into history repeating itself. And, you know, are there lessons to be learned there? And again, I'm, I'm not a history I'm not a historian. I know what I read. So I'm sure there are a ton of you out there who may know a little bit more about this topic. And please feel free to open up a conversation. Um, we can do that on Facebook or you can, if you want it to be private, you can email me from the website or just email me at contact at yogafortherevolution.org because I, I think this is something worth talking about. Uh, I do know that Congress passed the Third Force Act, which is also known as the KKK Act in 1871 in response to the lynchings and bombings of the previous year. And that authorized President Grant to declare martial law, to impose heavy penalties against terrorist organizations and use military force to suppress the KKK. I, right now, I don't know that I would trust our current government to do that, to take charge, to be on the side of civil liberties and equal rights. The Klan actually disbanded in 1944, in part because their numbers declined so much during the Great Depression, only to come back again during the Civil Rights Movement in the 50s and 60s. The Southern Poverty Law Center estimates that currently the KKK has between 5,000 and 8,000 active members, mostly in the Deep South. And while there have been isolated incidents, I mean, I've never seen anything like this in the streets, in public. And so here we are. Here I am in my apartment watching the news, you know, making my little show. And here is where the rubber meets the road in a certain sense when it comes to my values, my belief system, my own personal mission, which is to take these ancient methods of self-study and apply them to the current state of affairs. Sometimes we think of yoga and we think of... This like fit white lady in a spa-like environment or on a beach and everything is peaceful around her and she has her eyes closed. Maybe her chin is tilted up slightly face towards the sun and that is the picture of meditation we have. That is the picture of quote-unquote wellness that we've been given and that picture is lovely but it is bullshit. 
that picture simply does not cut it. That picture of what yoga is, what meditation is, what peace is, that is not real and relevant in this moment. That is not where the work is. Where the real work is, is to find compassion, to find a way forward within the madness. Not just when things are calm and cool and lovely, it is a little bit easier to feel even and at peace when stuff is just chill all around you. But that's not where we are right now. That's not the reality of life. So to find a way forward within the madness using these tools, you want a picture of these tools at work? Look at Gandhi. He was a civil rights activist in South Africa, worked for African independence, sorry, worked for Indian independence. He dedicated his life to truth. In fact, he called his movement, and I've only actually read this word, I've never said it out loud, so I'm going to apologize in advance, Satyagraha. Satya, meaning truth. Satyagraha was a political movement based on love, truth, nonviolence, and you know, the ideals set out in the Vedas of self-realization. Taking a deep breath, meditating, yes, yes. And also, why? Why do we do that? To know ourselves better. But why do we want to know ourselves better? Why do we need to? Why do we want to know ourselves better? I, uh, I, you know, I don't know. What if you look inside and there's darkness in there? What if... What if I don't like what I see? Why can't I just do what Oprah does? Won't that work? You know, why can't I do what Stephen Covey tells me to do and just follow this list of seven rules? The thing is, is that all of us, we, all of us individually have work to do. Life is work. Life is not leisure. Leisure does not bring happiness or peace. Leisure in totality is boring as heck. We want for work. And I don't mean a job. I don't mean we must like dedicate our lives to our bosses. I'm talking about our spiritual work, our work of becoming more and more ourselves. Because by becoming more ourselves, we come closer to truth and closer to our true purpose. This is where I get like both brimming over with excitement and also frustration that I don't know if I'm able to articulate this in a way that will come through clearly or even foggy. But this is complicated and I'm in the midst of a period of study myself where I'm only now just grasping at the edges of an idea of Dharma. Dharma is our life's work. It is our purpose. And Dharma does not have to be big. It was for Gandhi. It is for Elizabeth Gilbert, maybe, who ate prayed and loved her way into the collective consciousness of our country and its obsession with improvement, uh, even when it comes to spirituality. But it doesn't have to be like that. Dharma can be small and quiet, too. That part doesn't matter. What matters more is that it's true. Here's why Dharma is important. And look, if you don't like the word Dharma, skip it. Don't get bogged down by Sanskrit if that is not your thing. And it doesn't even have to be about God or religion, but I do want to say it can be. For those of you who have faith or for those of you who identify with a religion, then Dharma can be the way God works through us. When we align who we truly are with the truth in the world 
and our actions. When all of that lines up, then we have a clear channel for God. You know, if that's your thing, for God to work through us to do whatever it is. Maybe it's to teach others. Maybe it's to create, to make art, to help others in whatever way. Dharma, or whatever you want to call it, doesn't even have to be romantic. I think sometimes we think of it, I know I think of it, as romantic. You know, Thoreau found his dharma, and Gandhi found his dharma, and, and it's, it's this like beautiful thing that makes life easy and purposeful. But again, it doesn't have to look like what other people's good stuff looks like. It just, it just needs to be true. So maybe when, when everything aligns for you, what happens is you're a powerful and easeful negotiator, or you can write legal briefs that flow through you like they're coming from books and precedents through your fingers onto the keyboard, or not. Maybe when you're doing your dharma, it looks like helping people buy a new home, or it looks like raising a family, or helping a friend when they need you, or helping other people be better at their job. Dharma takes as many forms as there are humans in the world. So how did I get onto Dharma when all this crap is going down in Virginia? Let me walk you through a little bit how I got here. It starts with, I don't know what the hell to do, right? And the only way for me to know what is the thing for me to do is to know truly, to deeply know truly who I am. So I'm going to pause there for a second and go over that concept really briefly. The only way to truly know what to do is to know who we are. Because we've tried what Oprah did and what Elizabeth Gilbert did. We've tried maybe what Tony Robbins did or Deepak or your boss or your neighbor, or, you know, we've tried to do what other people say to do. How does that work out? Maybe okay. Maybe not. Maybe it's fine. But often trying to do the right things or doing the things you should do, often that gets really hard. Even when it comes to super simple decisions, we may hem and haw over debating what the right thing is to do, how other people feel, what we really want. Because If we know at the core who we are, then most decisions get easy because you'll naturally want to make the decision that aligns with who you are and aligns with your dharma and there's just way less stress and less anxiety and more passion and more energy, which sounds awesome. Why aren't we all doing that? What keeps us from knowing who we truly are? I think my guess comes from my own experience. I think it's because it's scary or weird, or challenging to look. I remember, and this was years ago, I was having trouble sticking with decisions I knew were good for me. Again, I say this was years ago. That's like, that's not something that just like went away. And I was like, oh yeah, now I do everything that's right for me all the time and I never make a mistake. But in this particular example, I kept on doing things that I knew intellectually were no good for me. That would hurt me. And the advice I got from a professional, uh, in this case, a behavioral therapist, was to start not by changing all my behavior, because if I just changed my behavior because someone else said to, I wasn't going to stick with it. It wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't going to be easeful. So the only way that that work was going to flow, was going to be easy, was if I believed what was right for me. And if I could find that alignment to that channel would be open. So the advice I got was to take note, 
to start. Don't change anything. Just take note in everyday life of things that make me feel good and things that don't. And it sounds really easy, but it was actually really hard. Trying to start a new habit of awareness was really challenging. And I know it sounds so easy as adults. Like, we know what we like and what we don't like, right? Eh. For me, again, just offering myself up as one example of human experience, for me, it was hard to peel away what I actually felt versus what I thought I should feel. I should go to the gym, but I freaking hate the gym. But do I? I actually love the physical feeling when my muscles go just beyond their normal capacity. I love feeling capable. I love feeling energized. Okay, so I just learned well into my adult life that I actually enjoy physical activity. Cool. And then the mind gets curious. So why don't I go to the gym? Well, introspection, I don't like putting on my weird gym clothes and walking in place, staring at a screen under bad lighting. Oh, okay, cool. I like moving. I don't like the machines at the gym. Now I'm learning something. On and on. Okay, and that's just a really simple example. I didn't actually go to therapy to figure out why I wasn't going to the gym. My truth, you know, for me was a little darker and a little uglier than that. And that gets to the root of why we don't just know our dharma, why we don't just know what's best for us all the time. In part, it's because we're not paying attention. And then we don't want to look or we don't know how to look. I know. I know we all have darkness in us. We have the dark, icky places that we don't want to look. I don't know if you've looked around in there lately. Most of us, and when I say most of us, I mean like, I don't know, like just humans in general. It's not easy. It's not comfortable all the time. So most of us don't look around in there or we don't even know how. So we don't look because we're just living life. And we have to do the dishes and get this job done or write an email or meet these people or check in on this other thing. And the news is droning on in the background. And maybe at night when we close our eyes, there's a flutter in our chest right underneath the sternum or at the bottom of the throat. And that flutter is fear or it's anxiety. And often it's the dark place that's coming up to say hi now that we've laid our heads down on the pillow and it's time to sleep because our minds slowed down ever so slightly before bed. And now is the time for that anxiety can just creep in. It sees vulnerability, opportunity, and then all of a sudden we can't sleep. It doesn't show up this way for everyone. I know plenty of people who sleep quite well, but it doesn't mean the darkness isn't there. And the darkness isn't our fault. Frankly, we most of us don't even know what the heck the dark stuff is because we're too freaked out to look at it. We look at the phone to distract us or take a NyQuil or have a glass of wine or whatever it is we need to do. Here is what I have learned. If you look, if you choose to look, the dark icky thing in the shadows inside us is not a scary thing. It is fear. Does that make sense? It's not the bad thing. It is fear of the bad thing. It's not the shameful thing. It is shame. And when you see it and really feel it, it goes away just a little bit. So then we have hundreds or thousands of mostly young white men spouting hate speech and being horrible. And what do we do? You know, tuning in to my inside dark places. How, how is that fixing anything? 
well, okay. I don't have all the answers. I can't make that connection like point A to point B, but I do have the tools that I have been taught and that these are the tools that I am sharing. One thing we can do is this. Remember that these people are not so different. They are people. We don't need to fully understand them. We don't need to be okay with what they're doing. Frankly, right now, I do not have compassion. That's something that I'm going to have to work on because I don't feel it. Like I can say it, they're humans and they have fear. And just like us, they want to be safe. And just like us, uh, uh, I, I don't feel that right now. I think there's value in feeling compassion. I'm not there yet. I'm just being honest. I do think there's value in feeling compassion because we are in many ways all the same. In this particular moment, I feel very different. I don't feel that sense of like, we are all drops in the same ocean. You know, I've read that. I've understood that and felt it at times. I don't feel it in my soul right this second. If I were to look, all right, what do I feel right in this second? I'm angry. I'm really angry and I'm... I'm also ashamed on behalf of humans and white people. Um, I'm aware also of a fear. Yeah, of a feeling like it's a, it is for me like a a fluttering in the chest and it, it grips around, I can feel it like right underneath my rib cage in the body, but I feel afraid of what this means, like of what, becomes what happens after this if this is okay then you know where are we going and then I also I feel judgment and I feel yeah it's this weird mix of like helplessness like that I will be overtaken a fear that I will be overtaken by a darker force outside of me and then at the same time I feel a judgment and like a superiority right? Like a pride that I am not that, um, which is kind of amusing because intellectually I know I am that we are all of the things. So, um, right now I'm aware of that feeling of difference and what is called an illusion of difference. So I'm, I'm very aware of that right now. And, you know, that for me, I'm coming more into the present moment with you guys right now. But for that moment, I was just watching and noticing what I feel, which is a great exercise. So what else? I felt compelled to talk to you guys about it. I didn't sit down at my desk and think, huh, should I change the topic of what I was planning on sharing for the podcast? Like, let me list the pros and cons. It wasn't about should. It was, I have to, I have to. And when I sat down, when I sit down, I do, I write some thoughts before I record just so that I don't wander too far. And when I did sit down and wrote so, so, so much came pouring out and there was hesitancy at the beginning. Uh, I needed to read a little bit, make sure what I was saying was grounded in truth. And then just whoosh, you know, it all came through me, through me. And when that happens, it doesn't feel like I am writing. It feels like these words are happening. And for me, and for me right now, this is my little dharma. It's not to be a best-selling author or to be a star creative director or a celebrity yogi. It's to allow some of what I've learned come through this channel and out to you. 
So that my hope is so that maybe some new ideas or some new ways of thinking will be planted like seeds. So when the fucking Nazis march again, and they will, we will know a little bit better that we are all the same, that we all have darkness, and moreover, that we all have work to do, and that maybe, possibly, we can all get a little bit closer to knowing how we can do that work, how we can be the most effective, how can we align our purpose with truth to be efficient machines or channels for truth. And it's, it's hard to do that, to work for truth, to channel or to be a vessel when we're so freaking afraid and stressed out. We can't even sleep or breathe. When we can't look inside to find out who we are and we can't look outside because the world looks like a horror movie. And to me, sometimes it does. But I know we are strong. If we pay attention, we are I'm going to pause. I'm going to keep this short. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to Yoga for the Revolution. This feels important to me. We'll see if it's important to anyone else, but this feels important to me. You can subscribe and rate the show wherever you get your podcasts or listen at yogafortherevolution.org. All the links to our social media accounts are on the site as well as a link to our Threadless store where you now have some cutie pie revolutionary t-shirts available to you. And there's also on the site a contact us link where you can write me, write me a note to say hi or what is life or how does this all work. So yeah, all of this shit is happening. Let's take some deep breaths. Whatever you are doing, just pause. Wherever you are, if you can, pause. Close your eyes, if you can, and stop what you're doing. Feel where you are. What are your feet feeling? Can you feel your calves, your shins? Be aware of your knees. Don't change anything. Just find them. Identify where your knees are in space. What do they feel like? What are your thighs doing? Where are your hips? Identify your low back your belly. Where did your breath go? Is it in your belly, your low back, or up in your ribs, your chest? Feel your breath. Feel your collarbones, shoulder blades. This is you. If your attention wanders, just remember this is you in this present moment. You are paying attention to you. What does your neck feel? What about your jaw? Your tongue inside your mouth? Your nose? Is there breath coming in and out of your nose? Feel 
the back of your head. Your face, your cheeks and eyebrows and forehead. Breathe and find the top of your head, the crown of your head. Feel your whole body. Feel the entirety of your body, inside and out. Feel where you are in space. What is just outside of you? Is there air on your skin, noise nearby? This is you. And this is where you are. Slowly begin to open your eyes. Keep breathing and live to fight another day.